So we've been in a series on the book of 1 John, and today we conclude the series. And uh, we've really preached through the first four chapters, but I wanted to come back to this, this uh, passage. It's always intrigued me. It's always caught my attention, and I, I just wanted to dive into it. I feel like uh, it, it's a very powerfully encouraging word. And there's something about encouragement. I don't know if you've ever discovered this, but encouragement can change your life. Encouragement, you know, I believe that we've been created to uh, even, even grow from and be challenged by encouragement. I love how the Father exemplifies this uh, in the Word of God. And I, I was, I was, as I was preparing this message, my, my memory went back to 2004, and in 2004, my wife and I had the opportunity to lead a group of people, predominantly uh, teenagers, to Jamaica. And in Jamaica, it, it, was a very, it was a challenging trip, but it was an amazing trip. And we found ourselves being stretched, I think, beyond, a little bit beyond what we were prepared for. It was hot. We were doing things that we had never done. We were teaching uh, VBS and ministering uh, in various churches and, and doing a lot of awesome work. And someone on the trip, one of the teenagers said, you know, how about if we begin to write notes, small notes every day, each one of us to one another to encourage one another? And, you know, I was, I'm pretty open about things like that. And I'm like, okay, well, let's, let's go ahead and do that. Let's try that. And we quickly began to discover as, and there was a, there was a team of 12, we quickly began to, to discover as we were writing these short notes, it didn't have to be long, but just one encouraging thing that you see in that individual. What we discovered was this, this brought cohesion to our team. Our team began to gel and begin to look forward to the encouragement that would be coming our way from the various team members. Um, and it really, to me, I think this was the one suggestion that made the trip a huge success. And here I have all of the notes that were given to me in 2004 from the various team members. And, and I'll just read a few of you. Tell me if you wouldn't be encouraged by, by some of these. Pastor Jim, I am absolutely amazed at your sense of carefreeness. How you can place every single uh, uh, one of your worries on God and walk away from it. And I love how you connect to people, anyone, anywhere, and have such an eager heart to do God's work. Yay, good job. Now that's awesome, isn't it? <laughs> These are teenagers, okay? So, yeah. <laughs> uh, just, uh, just a couple more I'll read real quick. Pastor Jim, you're an amazing leader and pastor. I have no doubt that you are where you are meant to be. You are such an example to me in everything you do. And many times I've caught myself standing in awe of the wonderful gifts God has blessed you with. Keep loving like you do. It can never fail. Isn't that powerful? I'll just read all these. This will be our message today. <laughs> so the message that we're sending today is, is write encouraging notes to Pastor Joe. I'm just kidding. <laughs> here's, here's the last one I'll share very quickly. Pastor Jim, I can't even begin to tell you how much a blessing you and this trip has been to me. Now, don't tell my grandma this because she will take it too seriously, but I am thinking of going into the mission field full time. But shh, it's a secret. I, I also got to tell you that I'm thrilled you're the leader of this trip. You give me strength when I'm down. You put a smile on my face when I'm sad, and you keep me going when I'm tired. And, you know, this is valuable enough to me that I would set it aside and keep it 
And from time to time I read it, honestly, it brings tears to my eyes uh, because there's something powerful about encouragement. And this is where we find ourselves in the, the book of 1 John. So we've been in this series, and John is writing to people that he dearly loves. He's writing to people that he wants to see encouraged. He, he's writing to people because he wants them to experience the kind of love and relationship that he has had with Jesus Christ. And he begins to write uh, from the perspective of one who had known him, walked with him, had relationship with him. A, a very, very powerful um, perspective that he brings to the table. But interestingly enough, he's writing to people who are somewhat broken. They had been going through some stuff. They've been challenged. People from within their own group uh, rose up and began to believe false teachings. And they turned on one another. Hatred arose. And, and uh, these, these false teachings were predominantly that Jesus couldn't have been the Christ because he came in the flesh. And, and so now, and these, these people that were uh, providing this false teaching were actually saying, well, we have the special revelation from God. We hear from God and you don't. We're right and you are not. And, and here, here we have this, this, uh, this sense of brokenness, this sense of disappointment, this sense of hurt. In the midst. And, and interestingly enough, John pauses. It's like he pauses from addressing what he had been addressing because he had been bringing some very hard truths to correct these false teachings. And many of these very good people had been led astray. And so some of the teachings that he was dealing with is something, and we've talked about these you can't walk in the darkness and have fellowship with God. Those two don't mix. You, you, uh, you can't hate your brother and be in the light at the same time. It just doesn't work. Uh, you can't claim to know God and yet disobey his commands. And, and you get the sense as you read this that, that the people that he's writing to may have began to question perhaps their own faith possibly. I, I don't know. I'm just, I, I'm just trying to give you my feel of the text that Perhaps they were saying, man, I don't, you know, after all these hard truths, I, I just don't even know if I got what it takes to be who you're calling me to be. Sense of disappointment, brokenness, hurt. And John amazingly hits the pause button on all this teaching, these hard truths that needed to be brought forth to correct the false teaching that was evident there. And all he does, he stops giving commands for, this, for, the, for a period of time as we're looking at this passage 1 John 2, 12 through 14. And all he does is bring words of encouragement. He begins to say in a roundabout way, no, this is who you are. In, these, in this passage, he doesn't, he doesn't question the validity of their faith. He doesn't say, you're not a Christian. He doesn't say that you're, you're, you know, you're stupid, you, could, you fell for a lie. All he does is encourage these people. There's something powerful about encouragement. So today, uh, the title of my message is this, This is Who We Are. Sometimes we need to, to, to pause and step back from the mess, the, the craziness of life. We, we need to, to reorient ourselves to say, wait a second, this is who I am. I know that I'm feeling this way. I know there's doubts over here. I know that maybe some fears have crept in. I know that this person's teaching this, and I'm not sure about that. And we step back and say, this 
is who we are. And John is writing to, he distinguishes them by using the words children, uh, young men, and fathers. Now, women in this room do not check me out today. And here's why I say this. The Bible isn't always gender uh, clear. Let, let, me, let me put it another way. Men in this room, many times as the body of Christ, you are referred to as a her. Right? You've got to accept that. Not only that, but you're also referred to as a bride. Okay? And we understand, we, we understand that when, when the Bible talks about these things, it's not being specific about men and women in every case. And this is one of those cases. And not only that, but a, a lot of people speculate and have questioned, is he writing to literal people who are children and young men and fathers? Or is he writing to people that have fallen into a place in life that need to better understand what God has called them to, to help them excel in this Christian walk. And here's my take on it. I believe that he's writing to people uh, uh, who are in places in their lives. And I would equate it to this. I was thinking about uh, my last family reunion that I attended. And always at the end of the family reunion or at some point in the reunion, there's a photo of the family taken. And I have a rather large family. I'm the youngest of nine so there's a lot of siblings, there's a lot of cousins, I'm, I'm an uncle to people that are older or younger than me, and, and uh, it's just a weird dynamic. My mom, she's the matriarch uh, of her own little family, she's got three other sisters alive, but she's the oldest. She's the matriarch of our family, she's going to be 93 in February. So there's generations there. There's, there's her children, then there's her, her children's children, and, and she's a, I, I tried to figure this out, and um, this is the way I would describe it. She is a great, great, great grandmother at 92 years old. So this family photo is big. This family photo's big. I mean, you've got, to, you've got to step back to get everyone in. And it's funny because, you know, you see my mom in the middle, and then there's all these people around, and, you know, there's parents, you know, chasing. They're looking away because they're trying to correct their kids, you know. There's kids watching the dog wandering, you know, <laughs> alongside of them. It's, it's just a hilarious photo to look at. But it's representative of, uh, of various generations and people who are at different places in their lives. And as John writes to these people, he, he's writing to people who are at different places in their lives. Some are new in the faith. Some, are, some are, are, are steadfast. They're growing. They're strong. And others have been in the faith a very long time. And so again, John, John doesn't bring commands to them at this point. He brings encouraging words, and he tells them who they are. It's always good to hear about who we are and be encouraged, especially from the Word of God. So let's take a look at what this has to say here. And I want to look at the first one. Again, he, he, he addresses children and, and young men and fathers. And he says in verse 12, if you have that, I would encourage you to grab your Bible. There's, there's a lot that you could uh, pencil in there today. In verse 12, and, and, the, and the, the writing is different. You could even look if you have a, a paper Bible in front of you that it, the writing is almost poetic in nature. It's, it changes form 
And the, the, the poetic nature of that day was to repeat the things that you said. If you look at, if you look at the, the Psalms, you see this. You, you're like, why is he saying? He said this like four times. It's, it's the writing of the day, and it helps to remind and reinforce what's being stated. So this is what we're looking at today. It says in verse 12, I am writing to you, dear children. We see these words, dear children or children, five times in this book. I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. Your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. Now, to many of us, this is not new news. But to a person new in the faith, one of the greatest battles they struggle with is believing and walking out the reality that they are forgiven before God. I know people, and let me, just, let me just restate something that I already stated. Even though he says children, you could be gray-haired and, be, and fit into this category of what John's saying. He's saying your, your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. He's saying you are totally forgiven. In, in the Greek, this word forgiven is comprised of two words that, that separately mean to send away. In essence, your sins have been sent away. They've been removed from you. They're no longer a part of you. They are no longer who you are. Your sins have been forgiven. I, I know that there's uh, people in this room, and he was very like, likely writing to people that wake up in the mornings every day with the disappointment of their lives and, and bearing the burden of the sin of their lives, even after they, after they have been walking with Christ because they haven't begun to live this truth in their lives. Sins have been forgiven. You and I know people who walk in shame and condemnation, and yet they are believers in Jesus Christ. And he's saying, your sins have been forgiven. He's made a way. He's paid the price so you no longer have to carry the burden of your sin. And I know the typical response. The typical response is, but you don't know what I have done, right? You don't know how bad it is. And clearly, you don't know what he has done because he has paid the price. He has made you white as snow. I write to you, dear children, a term of affection. There's no condemnation in this. There's only love. There's only a, a statement here to reaffirm this is who we are. We need to know this from the core of our being. My sins are forgiven. I don't carry them. My sins of the past are gone. They've been sent away. I am free and clear before God. That, that, that's an amazing truth, isn't it? Is that encouraging to you? you? You may have walked in this place today and you've had a rough week. Maybe you've said some things or done some things that you wish you didn't do. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive us of our sins and purify us or cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's a good God. I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. What an amazing truth. Be encouraged by that. Listen, I am free. Nothing, nothing can hold me back. Nothing is, 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 is clinging to me. I am free and clear before God. Amen. Though your sins are scarlet, they shall be 
white as snow. This is all on account of Jesus' name. What an amazing God we serve. For some of us, you know, uh, we, we struggle with this forgiveness thing because we think we have to earn it. We think that there's some actions required, some things that we have to do to earn God's forgiveness, a penance, if you will. We have to pay the price. We're guilty. Listen, let's just face it. We are broken people, and we can't fix ourselves. It is only Jesus. It is only Jesus. It doesn't matter how hard you work. It doesn't matter how good you are. It is only by his precious blood that you have been forgiven. That's the truth that we just need to absorb and live. I write to you, dear children. See, this is, this is like the ABCs of what children need to know. You, people young in the faith. You have been forgiveness, forgiven. I, I know the enemy tries to dig up things of the past, uh, your thought life. He, he tries to pull you in, suck you into the temptations that you are vulnerable to. And, and we need to stand strong and say, you know what? I have been forgiven. I'm not going back into that life any longer. But let me just tell you, when we do, and I'm not saying just go do it because there's forgiveness available, I believe that grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness. That's what the Bible tells us. But when we fall, we need to know that there is an advocate with the Father that can take away our sins and reestablish us so that we are no longer walking in sin. We just need to know that. Amen? So, one of the things, one of the core teachings uh, that John is getting at in this book is that we need to know the love of the Father, and we need to know how to love one another. And the problem with not feeling or knowing that we're forgiven is that we're robbed of the ability to do those things. We struggle with loving the Father because we know we're guilty. We're carrying our own guilt, our own shame. We struggle with loving the Father, and and we're very far off from loving one another at that point. So the enemy keeps us locked into a place where we're not free. We're not free to love. We're not free to enjoy God and his goodness in our lives. We're not free to love one another because we carry something that, you know, we're we're very ashamed of. Some of us feel open to talk about it. Others, it's a buried little secret that no one knows about. Nevertheless, it keeps us from all that we're supposed to be. This is who we are, people who are forgiven before God's eyes. So he's writing to children here. Speaking to children. This is going to be important in just a moment. And he says, you are forgiven. Totally forgiven. You probably won't be able to read my writing. I can't sometimes. (laughs) Then he speaks to young ones or young men. And then fathers. Okay. Totally forgiven. We got it. Totally forgiven. Forgiven. He doesn't stop there. If you skip down to verse 14, he addresses the children again. Another vital, elementary, important teaching for people to hold on to is this. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. Now, when I think about my children, when I think about little kids, 
One of the things that makes them most secure, they're most secure in something that they know. They don't need to be taught. They just know inherently is that they are loved by their mom and dad. I don't need to tell, I, I don't need to teach them that they're loved. I do tell them they're loved. But inherently, they know love because they've received it. They, they understand it. And one of the very important principles that he is writing to children is that uh, they, they are unconditionally loved by the Father. Unconditionally loved by the Father. And, and this, is, this is important to us. This is important. Not only forgiven, but also loved. This is important to young believers, younger Christians. Jesus came into the world to establish a relationship, a love relationship with the Father. And as we walk that out, as we discover that, we begin to, we begin to grow. We begin to grow and are able to transition from children to young, young ones, young men and women. Amen? If we're locked into this, well, I doubt he loves me. I doubt I'm forgiven. It's hard to become mature in the faith. I ran into a woman this week on the streets, and uh, I began to talk to her. And, and she once was a, a, a very, she, she lived a good life. She was making good money, had a good family. And then things began to crumble underneath her. And as a result of this, she made some very poor choices and became addicted to some stuff. And, and um, I was trying to help her understand because she was, she was a believer. She's been a believer, but she's struggling at the moment. This is not who you are. You are a daughter of God. He is madly in love with you. He, he is passionately in love with you. What you're doing is not really who you are. You need to step aside from that and begin to walk in what God has called you to, to do and who God has called you to be. This is not who you are. She, she was walking in guilt and shame and, and condemnation. She was struggling because of her actions. And she needed to receive the forgiveness of the Father, receive the love of the Father, and begin to get back on the track that she once was. Sometimes we begin to take actions that really do not represent who we are. And God is saying, even in John, in this, in this uh, passage, John is calling people to a higher place. This is really who you are. People who are forgiven. People who are unconditionally loved. So we begin to see John calling the young ones I can't talk and write at the same time. It's sort of like the chewing gum and walking thing. Um, or I may say something I would later regret. So, uh, He's calling the younger ones, the children, to, to walk in this, to believe it, to live it out. You are totally forgiven and unconditionally loved. That's amazing. That is a foundation that every Christian believer should have in their lives. Everyone. You may not feel it. You may not be walking in it at the moment. But this is what he says about you. This is who you really are. The world may say something different. You know, your parents may say something different about you. But this is what God says about you through the apostle John. Unconditionally love, totally 
forgiven. We need that in our lives. And and I wrote this down. I'm just going to read it. Uh, It says, a true child of God really knows the father because he, he or she has experienced the father's unconditional love and total forgiveness. So John moves on from from this account, and he now addresses, and I'm going to skip, technically addresses fathers. I'm going to skip to the next level, which is young men. He says, I'm writing to you, young men, in verse 13, because you have overcome the evil one. You have overcome. He didn't say you will overcome. He didn't say someday or maybe you will overcome. He said you have overcome. It's a done deal. Isn't that interesting? If you skip down to verse 14, he addresses the young men again. And he says, I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome. Once again, repeating literally word for word, you have overcome the evil one. What powerful things he is saying to these young people, these people that, that are in the faith, that, that have gone on beyond this, this uh, childhood belief system and are growing in their faith. He says these amazing things. He says things like, you are strong. Wouldn't you want someone to say that about you? You are strong. The word of God is in you. And you have overcome evil, evil one. I I find this interesting that he addresses young men, young women in this way, in this capacity. When you think about young people, this is almost like uh, warrior-like. This is almost like a fighter, you know. There's someone, there's someone that, you would want along your side, uh, alongside of you. This is, this is something that you'd want to be to say, wow, man, I, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling strong about who I am in God. I'm feeling strong that the word of God, you know, the word of God is, 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 is encouraging to me. I'm getting stuff out of it. I'm being strengthened by it. And oh, by the way, the evil one's not winning his fight against me anymore. That's powerful. So he's, he's almost, it's soldier-esque, if you, for lack of a better word. He, it's, it's very powerful. In essence, he's saying that you have won a battle. Put whatever battle you faced or are facing in there, and he's saying it's done. It's done. It has been, it, you have overcome that battle because you've overcome the evil one. It, it's no longer, it no longer has power over you. It doesn't have to control you. He says this, these words, you have overcome two times. Just to add emphasis. That you don't have to be a victim, but he's called you to be a victor in Christ Jesus. I don't know, I'd like that to be said about me. That'd be encouraging to me. Man, that dude is strong in the Lord. Power of his might. He knows the word of God. Those things that used to, I've, I've watched his life, and uh, those things that used to hold him back, they no longer hold him back. It's amazing. This is what he's speaking to the young men. Now, uh, could you ever imagine going about life knowing you've won the victory already? 
In this book of John, John uses the word overcome several times. It's sort of a point of emphasis. Listen, I know you're not feeling it. I know it doesn't look like it in your life, but you have overcome. You are victorious. You've been, uh, a way for you to win has been provided for you. Can you imagine, let's just go to, I like sports. Can, can you imagine being on a team that you, even before you play the game, you know you automatically won? It's like, I mean, maybe it'd take a little bit of fun out of it, but it'd really make you feel good. It's, it's definitely better than the opposite. Before you play the game, you know you're going to lose, right? <laughs> and so I was once on this basketball team when I was, when I was very young in the faith, and uh, it was a church basketball, it was a church basketball team. I'm not sure if it was a church basketball league, but I was on this team with, with giants, okay? I knew, I knew, I mean, it was just a slam dunk, literally, that we were going to win the game. I didn't have to offer much. I didn't really have much to offer. But when I showed up, we, would, we knew we were going to stomp the enemy. I mean, there were people that, it was like, it was like pro, pros playing against a mediocre high school team. Every single time we played. And these guys, I mean, they were dunking. They were making three-point shots like it's nobody's business. It was amazing. Every time we showed up, we knew we were going to win. And we won, and we won the championship. Doesn't that, it's just, it's amazing when you can walk into someone, some some place, knowing that you're going to have victory. This is what John is saying to the people. You have already won. You don't have to worry about the battle. The battle's already been fought. Listen, I, I think we've, we've fallen prey to the lies of the enemy to, to make it seem like it's our battle. It's not our battle. He's fought the battle. We need to walk in the victory that he's provided for us. Man, you are strong. The word of God lives in you. You've already overcome. This is good, this is good stuff from John, isn't it? Like encouraged. It, you know, it brings a smile to your face like, wow, that is good to hear today. That is good to hear today. Um, and, and the bottom line is we win not because of us, but because we are linked to a greater one. In that basketball league, listen, whether I got in or not, they were going to stomp. I was, I was the bench guy, you know. They brought me in after a very, very healthy lead was established. I, I didn't have to worry. They didn't have to worry about me. I didn't have to worry about it. In fact, it was very freeing to know that a lot of pressure was not on me. It allowed me to do some stuff I would not normally do on the basketball court. You know, I, I was, I was, I was, anytime I got the ball, I was putting that ball up, I was shooting, I was driving the lane. It didn't matter because I didn't, it didn't matter. The outcome was not going to be changed by my presence on the court. And in the same way as believers in Jesus Christ, the outcome will not be changed because you have already overcome you are strong. The word of God is alive in you. It reminds me, uh, the place that I used to work at, I remember, I'm a pretty conservative guy. And I remember one time, I had just been given a promotion. And um, my boss, he was a nice guy. He liked me. I had tremendous favor. Tremendous favor. Undeserved favor, by the way. And uh, he liked me a lot, just gave me a promotion, and he said, listen, I want you to take risks. I want you to worry, not worry about failing because you've got people around you that will, will help you, will encourage you, and you need to be a risk taker. 
If you're going to go to the next level, you need to take risks because it will pay off in the long run. In essence, he's saying this. He's saying, you know what? You can take risks and fail, and you're still going to win and get promoted. And I'm thinking, oh, this is awesome. And I got promoted. I don't know if I brought about any failures, but nevertheless, it was like one of the most unorthodox, or unorthodox things I had ever heard from a manager that I worked for. You need to take risks, Jim. You need to go for it. We got your back. It's going to be okay. You're going to win. I'm going to lead you to your next promotion. Amazing. This is what Jesus is saying to us. Amen. We win. We have already overcome. It's okay. Trust him. He finally writes to fathers, and he says this. And I don't have the full reason why fathers is out of order. It goes children, fathers, young men. I chose not to deal with it. Maybe you can research that and let me know what your theory is. But it says in verse 13, I am writing to you fathers because you know him who was from the beginning. Then if you skip down to verse 14, I am writing to you fathers because you know him who was from the beginning. Very interesting. He says the exact same thing twice to fathers. You know him who is from the beginning. Well, I guess it'd be good to ask the question, who is him, right? And again, this is not about age. I know many gray hair men and women that would be into the children category, and I know many young people that would be into the father's category because I view this as a maturity thing. And really, what is being said here is this. You know him who is from the beginning? I think we find the answer to that question, who is the him, in 1 John 1.1. 1, 1. And it says, it says here, that which is from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. Who do you think he's talking about? Jesus. Now, if someone were to ask me, prior to me studying this passage, the question, uh, what, what would be the key characteristics of a spiritually mature person? Give me number one and then everything else after that. And I would answer something like this. You know, they're, they're influential in the body of Christ. They're influential in the world. They're leading people to Jesus. You know, signs and wonders are following their lives They've got their people of uh, excellent moral character, uh, and on and on and on. And what John is saying is vastly different than what I would have said. He is saying that a spiritually mature person, number one, if I'm just going to give you one, it's going to be a person who knows Jesus. And I'm not talking about, yeah, I know about him. I'm not talking about, yeah, I, I've been used by him or touched people's lives through him. I'm talking about someone who is spiritually, intimately, and experientially in a relationship with Jesus. Paul said the very same thing. If you look at Philippians, this is what Paul said about his desire. Here's a guy who's an apostle. He's, he's writing uh, two-thirds of the Bible. He's, he's being used to change the world, to take the gospel throughout the world. And this is what he says 
And I know you probably got it up there, and I'm looking at it slowly here. In verse three, chapter 3, verse 8, he says, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. See, there's nothing on the face of the planet that can be compared to this knowing of Jesus Christ. Nothing. I consider everything a loss. Verse 10, I want to know Christ. You see that? I want to know Christ. Here's a spiritually mature apostle saying nothing else matters. Nothing comes before my, uh, my knowledge of who he is, my intimacy with him. It's not about what we do. It's about uh, the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. So here John is writing to his children, to his, his young men and his fathers. And he's saying, the fathers, this is who you are. You know Christ. Did I just do that? You know Christ. This is who we are, people. This is who we are. And I want to just finish very quickly with this thought. Here's the thought. How do children in the faith become young men? And how do young men in the faith become fathers? Again, gender, gender neutral, women, men. I would, I would propose that this is going to be a vital part. That is the word of God. Because you are strong because of the word of God in, that is in you. You are strong because of the word of God that is in you. You have overcome because of the word of God that is in you. So children can become young men by the word of God. By knowing the word of God. By knowing the word of God. By growing in the word of God. And young men can become fathers. And I had this written down, and I know I'm blowing it totally, but oh, here it is. The word of God lives in you, and I won't write it all out. Young men can become fathers this way. The Lord of the word. You know. That's not the best way to say it. You know the Lord of the word. You are spiritually mature because you know this guy. Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, the Messiah, the one who was and is and is to come. Uh, the one who is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. As we close out First John today, right now, Again, no commands, no challenges, no disappointments with where people are at. This is who we are. If we are not living this way, if we are not walking this way, we are living below who we really are. And so the challenge is to be and believe who we really are. This is John's message to us today. Would you stand to your